Eightfold two, thank you. <coughs> Ezekiel 16 is the longest chapter in Ezekiel, and it is very similar to chapter 23. Both are very graphic in the way they show Judea to be so spiritually immoral. The story of Israel's sin and unfaithfulness to the love of God is told in all its sordid and vile character. This chapter is so sad and explicit that some of the ancient rabbis did not allow it to be read in public. In this, in this chapter, the nation is compared to a, a, an infant that has been deserted by its parents. The statement in verse 3, your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite, is not to be taken literally. It is a statement similar to Sodom was the sister to Jerusalem. It's a picture of idolatry of the people of Jerusalem. The term Jerusalem does not mean the city itself, but the people who reside in it. In much the same way, when we refer to Bongley Village Chapel, we don't mean the building we're meeting in. This is just a rain shelter. It is not the church. The building is the place that we meet. You are the church, the people who God has put together in this building. So it is with Jerusalem. It's the people. The Lord has compassion on her. But Jerusalem still loves her idols and becomes like a prostitute to them. Therefore, the Lord said, I will judge you. A striking contrast. Rather than praising God, who had saved her as an unwanted infant that had been exposed to death, Jerusalem is, has degenerated so far in its pagans' practices. Let me read you the first 42 verses. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem and its detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestors, ancestors and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. And your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt and wrapped in cloth. No one looked on you with pity and compassion, enough to dry, no, sorry, enough to do any of the things for you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field. For on that day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood as you lay there in your blood. I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant in the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later, I passed by, and when I looked and saw you, that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you a solemn oath and entered into a covenant 
with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you and washed and with water and washed the blood from you and put ornaments on you. I clothed you with, clothed you with an embroidered dress and I put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments, adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and necklaces around your neck and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were fine linen and costly fabric, embroidered cloth. Your food was honey and oil, olive oil and the finest flour. You, you became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because of your splendour, I had given you your beauty perfect, declared the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your own beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who passed by. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made grandly high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewellery I gave you and the jewellery made of my gold and silver and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. You took your embroidered cloth and put them, and put them, uh, sorry, and put them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also, the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil, and honey, I gave you to eat. You offered them as fragrant incense before them. This is what happened, declares the sovereign Lord. And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food for the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. In all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth, when you were naked and bare, kicking about in the blood. Woe, woe to you, declares the Sovereign Lord. In addition to all those other wickedness, you build a mound for you yourself and made lofty shrines in every public square. And every street corner you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, spreading your legs with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. You engaged in prostitution with the Egyptians, your neighbours, with large genitals, and again arose my anger with your increasing promiscuity. I, I stretched out my hand against you and you reached your and reached your reduced your territory. I gave you over to the greed of your enemies and the daughters of the Pharisees who were shocked by your lewd conduct. You engaged in prostitution with the Assyrians too because you were in, you were 
insatiable. And even after that, you were still not satisfied. Then you increased your promiscuity to include the Babylonians in the land of the merchants. But even then, this was you were not satisfied. I am filled with fury against you, declares the Sovereign Lord. When you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. When you built your mounds in every street corner and made your lofty shrines in every public square, you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned, you, you, you scorned payment. Your adulterous wife, you preferred strangers to your husband. All the prostitutes received gifts, but you gave gifts to your lovers, bribing them to come to you from, from everywhere for you in your illicit favours. So in your prostitution, you also, the, the oppressed, the, the opposite of others, no one runs after you for your favours. You are the very opposite, for you gave payment and none of it is given to you. Therefore, your prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because you poured out your lust and exposed your naked body in promiscuity with your lovers, and because of your detestable idols, because you gave them to your children, because you gave them your children's blood, therefore I am going to gather all of your lovers with whom you found pleasure, those who, you, those who loved you as well as those you hated. I will gather them against you from all around and I will strip you in front of them and then we will see, your start, you, will see you start naked. In the sent, in, I will sentence you to the punishment of women who committed adultery, who shed blood. I will bring on you the blood of vengeance and the wrath of the jealous anger. Then I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of clothes and take your fine jewellery and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with swords. They will burn down your houses and inflict punishment on you in the sight of many women. I will put, I will put a stop to your prostitution and you will no longer pay your lovers. Then my wrath against you will subside and my jealous anger will turn away from you. I will be calm and no longer angry. When we read that passage, like many other passages, we read that today with our 21st century head on. The view to the person it was written to, the people originally reading it, would have had a completely different meaning. For example, when we read of a passerby picking up an abandoned baby, today, when we think of this, we would all say, well, of course that passerby would pick up a baby, wouldn't they? What other choice is there? You and I would pick up a child, wouldn't we? But in ancient days, the word, of course, wasn't even there. In those days, if you picked up every abandoned baby you found, your house would soon be burst to the bursting to the seams. It was an accepted part of everyday tragedy. 
Also, don't, don't assume that the mysterious stranger had, had favourable plans for the child that they picked up. It was not unknown for, for girl babies to be rescued for the purpose of prostitution rather than adoption. A practice, I'm sad to say, that still goes on today in many countries. Both girls and boys are channelled into the sex trade. To the original reader, they would have recognised the grace involved in Lord's action in picking up this stray and not merely allowing her to survive or even adopting her, but by marrying her and lavishing her on her good things. The image of marriage conveys something quite different to us to it did then. In the 21st century, we are used to a wife being independent from her husband. We think of equal partnerships in which the in which everybody the, the partners own each sorry I'm getting tongue tied in which each party owns half of everything, unless of course there's one of these modern day prenuptial agreements. In our society, it is also a relationship that can be dissolved as easily as it was made, if a better offer comes along. In the films and on TV, adultery is regularly portrayed not only as acceptable but praiseworthy if it allows self-fulfillment. The ideal of marriage as a relationship of subservient and obligatory wife is alien to us. In Ezekiel times, the wife was not an independent woman, free to seek fulfilment in the arms of another. Death was the appropriate sentence for her adultery. Only if we understand these differences will we see the ingratitude of the woman who, who has taken the gifts that were lavished on her by her true husband and squandered them with her many lovers. We will see the justice of the sentence that will be taken just and properly by the original, as just and proper by the original hear, hearers. The story starts out by depicting Jerusalem as a city of dodgy origins, an Amorite father and a mother and a Hittite mother. This, of course, was not literally true of the city. The city was in existence before the arrivals of the Israelites in the land of the Canaanites. The children of Jerusalem were born of heartless parents who revealed their, who revealed, who, who revealed their own depravity by, by abandoning them, the newborn infants. None of the usual practices of cutting the navel cord, washing the child, covering her blood in a mixture of salt and oil or wrapping her in swaddling clothes was carried out. Instead, alone and unloved, she was left in the field to die. This picture of a weak, unwanted child, especially girls, was all too familiar a spectacle in the ancient world. Into this helpless and hopeless situation came God. He spoke a life-giving word, causing her to live and thrive like a plant of the field. The word of the Lord was all it took to change a place of death to a place of life. We can read that in 16.7. She grew up to reach sexual maturity and, att and attended the age appropriate for marriage. At the end of this time, once again, the Lord's attention, the Lord, once again, she came to the Lord's attention 
and he spread a corner of the robe over him, over her, symbolising her nakedness. Sorry, symbolising, covering her nakedness, sorry. This was an act, an act which almost confirmed the choice of a bride. Do you remember in Ruth where we read, I am your servant Ruth, she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my guardian redeemer for our family. Then the Lord gave an oath and entered into the covenant relationship with Jerusalem. This is, means that he married Jerusalem in the same way as he's married us. The Lord's choice of Jerusalem was not merely a legal or political convenience, but an act of true love. He did for the girl what no one else had done, washing off her blood, anointing her and clothing her. He provided her with a wardrobe fit for a queen with embroidered dresses and shoes of fine leather. She is clothed in materials that elsewhere is associated with the tabernacle, underlying her symbolic identity as a home of the temple. The Lord also lavished on her expensive jewellery, bracelets, necklaces, nose rings, earrings, etc. Virtually every part of the body that could be covered was covered with jewellery. Finally, she was fed with the very best flour, honey and olive oil. Now, because of her natural beauty, which itself was a result of the Lord's decision to allow her to live in the first place and the splendour which the Lord had endowed on her, her fame spread far and wide. In verse 15, there's a big turning point. Instead of remembering what the Lord had done for her and who had saved her and given her all these blessings, she trusted in her beauty and prostrated herself, prostituted herself. Like the prodigal son, she wasted what she was given on riotous living. The beautiful clothes were used to adorn high places where idolaters worship. Her gold and silver was used to manufacture male idols, which she prostituted herself to. The flour, oil and honey which she was given was often to offer to the idols. Even her children, whom she had borne from the Lord, were not safe. They were sacrificed to the idols. Jerusalem's idolatry in terms of adultery has its roots in Hosea, where the kingdom is described as an ungrateful wife who takes the gifts of her husband and foolishly lavishes them on her lovers. Ezekiel takes the same picture and develops it much further. Hosea's Israel was simply a foolish, promiscuous woman. Ezekiel's Jerusalem is thoroughly deprived and degenerated prostitute. Her behaviour descends even deeper. In place of adultery with idols, there now is a liaison with human partners with ever-increasing promiscuity. Lust becomes stronger. Jerusalem spreads her legs for anyone who passes by, not least her lust for neighbours, the Egyptians. God's judgment is reducing her territory but with no effect. Jerusalem did not act like a normal prostitute, for they are motivated from their sin for material gain. 
Even though she continued to sin, she used her own things to pay people. As a description of a woman, it's beyond the reaches, perhaps even today, of our tabloid press of someone acting like this. For Jerusalem, the natural inevitable consequences of her adulterous life was an adulterous death. The punishment was to fit the crime. The normal practice was for an adulteress first to be exposed naked in public, followed by the stoning. Jerusalem, however, uh, sorry, Jerusalem's idolatry would later on be part of the town. Her wealth possession stripped away leaving her in a state in which she began naked and bare. Only when the full circle had been reached and once the lost, covered, abandoned child who God chose for life had been sentenced to death and executed would the Lord's wrath finally turn aside. The sentence is passed in front of her lovers. It involves not simply stoning her, but by hacking her to death with a sword and burning down her houses. So there we have it, an 18 sermon of sin and the adultery of Jerusalem. We've gone through the first 46 verses of Ezekiel 16. We have seen Jerusalem in all of her adultery and idolatry. We've noticed, we noted at the beginning that we use Jerusalem for a collective noun for the people in the city. We have now seen the child that was left abandoned and without hope. How do we apply the word of God here today? It's all pretty bleak sermon. We are like the children, the child, abandoned. We were separated from God in our sin. We were covered in blood and cast out. Every sermon has a but. So here's my but. But if we read on in Ezekiel 16:59 to the end of the chapter, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember the way, your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sister by those who are older than you and those who are younger. I will give you them as your daughters, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. Then I will make an atonement for you. For, you have, for, for, for all that you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your, of your humiliation, declares the Lord. Just as the child in this passage, God loves us and picks us up and washes us and makes us alive in him. But we need to be very careful. And this, is, this is the sort of point I'm trying to make in this sermon. We, be very, we need to be very careful with what the gifts God gives us, what we do with them in our lives. The price of our salvation should stir our hearts to remember the shame of Ezekiel 16. We should remember that what we were once like and be ashamed. For we read in Corinthians, for example, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither sexual, immoral, immoral, immoral or idols, or nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greed, nor drunkenness, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Perhaps like the Corinthians, you were once sexually immoral, idlers or prostitutes, homosexuals or thieves, or even greedy drunkards or slanderers. Perhaps you were not like any of them. Perhaps you were proud, like the people of Jerusalem um, prided themselves on not being like the Sodomites, or that like the Pharisee prided himself on not being like the tax collector. For the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. Perhaps we are convinced, like the rich young ruler, that we have done our bit for our neighbours. It's all too easy and familiar to say, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and for you. It's all too easy. We become desensitised to the real horrors of what our sin cost on that cross. We should never forget the suffering that Jesus went through, the obscenity of the cross, the innocent man, the only true innocent man that had ever lived in a a conviction, is convicted in a rigged trial, abused by the guards until he can scarcely walk forced to carry his own cross on his back and whipped. Nails are forced through living flesh into his feet and hands. He is jerked upright, too tired to lift himself one more time. He suffocates. What good God could permit such a death? What loving God could permit his own blood, his own beloved son to undergo such agony? What an awful thing, what awful thing could be so bad that only such an atonement could pay for it? The answer is our sin. The cross, we, we see sin revealed in its starkness and ugliness. We must never sentimentalise that terrible moment. T'was I that shed the sacred blood, I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God, I joined the mockery. Yet not less the blood avails to cleanse away my sin, and not less the cross prevails to give me peace within. That's how much God loves us. This is the atonement and payment that God made for us and promised in Ezekiel 16 verse 63. The ransom he paid for his people. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, but did not come to serve, not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The cost of our salvation was not silver or gold, but the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that we all too easily forget. For those who know Jesus is their saviour, let us never forget the great price of our redemption. Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood, 
Let every believer the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Can we now stand and sing that wonderful hymn?